Peace be upon you. So I've got a question for you. We know from the Quran that God is doing absolutely everything. So if God's doing absolutely everything, is there ever any injustice in this world? And this might come as a surprise, but according to the Quran in chapter 72 verse 13, it reads, When we heard the guidance, we believe there, and anyone who believes in his Lord will never fear any injustice nor any affliction. What the takeaway is from this is the fact that everything that happens in this world happens for a good reason. And we see a limited cross-section of what goes on, and we try to comprehend it, right? We see uh, children starving and, you know, uh, death and poverty and all these kind of nasty acts. And we wonder, you know, clearly there must be injustice, but we don't see the entire picture. Uh, we see things in a glimpse of time. And we don't see what happened before, what happened after. And when I'm talking about before and after, I'm talking about before this world and after this world. Um, and if you see things in God's perspective, you'd come to realization that there's never any injustice. That hypothetically, if someone comes and punches me in the face, while that guy might be a big jerk, I probably deserved it. Uh, there's some reason, some motivation behind that action corresponding to what happened. And if you extrapolate this even farther... And you think about everything that happens in our lives, and we come to the realization that there's never any injustice, that whatever happens to us happens for a good reason, either it's for our benefit or it's a source of retribution, something that we deserve. And if it's the later, hopefully we can reflect and reform and get back on the right path. But we think about all these excuses that we have in our lives to complain. And uh, we have to realize that anything that we complain about, in essence, we're objecting. And the simple rule is, according to submission, which is so critical, is getting to the point where we submit wholeheartedly, cheerfully to anything that God puts in our path. Uh, that we realize, yeah, sometimes it's tough, sometimes it's difficult, but there's a good reason for it. And not only are we going to you know, suck it up and take it, but ultimately we're going to get to a point where we're going to be cheerful about it. Because we realize that even though it might seem you know, to not make sense at the moment. God has a grander uh, design that we have to be patient to. And one of the things that we have to think about is our day-to-day -day task. You know, many of us go to school, we go to work, and typically at school, uh, you have a teacher, you have a professor, at work you have a boss, or you have customers. And it's easy, constantly you see people, they complain about their boss, their teacher, their professor, their customers, right, uh, their shareholders. And you have to understand that God is the one who hand-selected these individuals in these roles. God is the one who hand-selected us in these roles. And there's a good reason for it. And if we understand that and we basically trust in God, ideally we'll get to a point where we not only uh, submit, but we submit cheerfully. Uh, there's an expression, whistle while you work, right? The fact that we'll take real pleasure and whatever job God gave us, something is remedial, if, you know, uh, as say, for instance, cleaning toilets. If you can find the joy in cleaning a toilet where you can, you know, obviously it's not going to be uh, very pristine work, but it's going to give you a time to reflect, to, to think, to, uh, you know, uh, appreciate, to be happy for God's blessings, for a sanitation system, for the fresh water that we can use to, uh, to uh, you know, basically um, send out our waste. There's so much that you can use that moment to, to grow your soul, to become a better individual. And it doesn't matter how trivial the task is or how mundane the task is or how arduous the task is. There's something there for us to gain from. 
And if we understand that, that ideally we can basically enjoy ourselves through any situation that God puts in, fr uh, in front of us. And we get so fixated on the outcome, right? You know, why am I in this role? Why am I in this position? Why am I, you know, have to take this test? And what we miss is the fact that God is the one who hand-selected us to be there. God is the one who put the situation around us so we can gain some sort of, uh, you know, understanding, appreciation, growth, development, you name it. And nothing happens in vain. There was an interesting study they did. They had a bunch of maids, and they split them up into two groups. To one group, they basically explained to the maids that, hey, the work you're doing, you know, folding towels, uh, washing sinks, washing toilets, washing uh, the tub, vacuuming, this is a laborious work, and it's good exercise. And they explained to them how these motions are no different than exercise. And then to the other group, they just told them about, you know, it was a control group, so they showed them some tactics for uh, better cleaning, okay? And they fought up with these, uh, the maids, and what they found out was the ones who had the training in regards to how their work was more like exercise actually ended up losing more weight than the group that was, you know, the control group that just had guidance as far as how to clean. And what this goes to show is our mentality, our attitude, when we do our work, and our work can be anything, it can be parenting, it can be gardening, Right? It, it doesn't have to be in its uh, traditional sense where you're getting an income from it. Whatever it is that we have to do, our work, we have to fix our car, we have to run errands, it doesn't matter. There's a, something that we can gain from that experience. And depending on how we think about that experience is going to make all the difference as far as how much we pull from it. Now you think of this. There's uh, this law, it's highly debatable, but it's called the 10,000 rule, no, 10,000 hour rule. And what it says is anyone who can basically do deliberate practice for 10,000 hours uh, has a very high probability of becoming an expert in that field. Meaning, if you want to be an expert uh, violinist, you want to be an expert basketball player, you want to be an expert, uh, I don't know, uh, crocheter, uh, if you spend 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, you can get there. Now, what does that mean, deliberate practice? What deliberate practice means is that you're constantly pushing to refine yourself to make yourself incrementally better upon each uh, set each repetition uh, each time you're going through that scenario um, and if you get to the point where it's just passive where you're not reflecting where you're not thinking critically where you're not uh, internalizing this uh, what it is that you're gaining from this experiment you know you might as well play 10,000 hours and go nowhere and you see it like you know you see some people they play the guitar and they play for years and they never progress and then other people play for a very short amount of time and they're progressing rapidly. Now, what, what's changed? You know, What's different is one group of people, they're making that deliberate effort to get incrementally better each time, while the other group is just being passive about it, not thinking about how can I just you know, pull up this part just slightly higher to get a little, little better at a time. And you think about this in life. You know, in life, each day, we have the opportunity to deliberately practice our submission, to deliberately practice being better submitters, to constantly try to refine and make ourselves better, more reverent, more appreciative, more focused. And when we do this, we're becoming experts in life to the point that nothing will shake us, nothing will bring us down. We'll be in this perpetual state of joy. And God gives us uh, an example, and it's one that I had to think critically about. But it's something, it's, it's kind of a, uh, a benchmark for myself. And in 2, 270 and 271, God gives us the example that giving to charity anonymously is better. 
And it reads, Any charity you give or charitable pledge you fulfill, God is fully aware thereof. As for the wicked, they will have no helpers. If you declare your charities, they are still good. But if you keep them anonymous and give them to the poor, it is better for you. And remits more of your sins. God is fully cognizant of everything you do. Um, and in Matthew 6, 2 through 4, I love this verse. It says, So, when, uh, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what you, uh, what is done in secret will reward you. And so I just love that part where it says... Uh, don't sound a trumpet. Uh, and you see that a lot. You know, some people, they give donations and then they want uh, a parade and uh, plaques and all these kind of like <laughs> vanities. And it's, why? what's the emphasis on giving to charity secretly, anonymously? What is it? It's because when we do something anonymously like give to charity, there is no claim against us that the devil can make that we did that because of our pride, our ego, uh, to impress our friends, to impress the public, right? When you give to charity secretly, anonymously, you're strictly doing it only to please God. There is no other reason uh, for it. You know, obviously, yeah, we feel good when we give to charity, but the thing is, the difference between someone who gives it anonymously and someone who gives it publicly, and God advocates both, right? Don't get me wrong, but... Doing it anonymously uh, stops any argument against you, right? Be it from the devil or anyone that you're giving to show off. Now, think of this. God, charity is one form of righteous act. What about every other form of righteous act, right? It can't, it's probably not limited to just charity. If we do any form of righteous act anonymously, right? We, we see trash on the ground and we pick it up. Uh, you see, you know, say something that needs to be done uh, and you go out of your way to do it. You know, you see something, say, hypothetically on uh, Wikipedia uh, that you know it's, oh, it's incorrect and you can fix and you go out of your way to do that, right? This form of righteousness cannot be held against you in the sense that, oh, you're doing this to show off. is because the only person who knows about this other than yourself is God. And when we do something anonymously, we're showing that we 100% want to just please God. Now, take the same example of work. If you think you're working for your boss or your teacher is the one who's sitting in front of the class, you got to think again. God is our boss, right? God is our teacher. God is our professor. Um, and when we work, when we have the opportunity to go that extra mile, to do that extra thing, we're not doing it per se to please our boss in this world. We're doing it to please our boss who is God, to please God. You know, by going out of our way to do something, to be that, uh, you know, uh, efficient, productive worker, we're doing it so God will promote us. Right? Not to impress our worldly boss, not to get a uh, promotion from our worldly boss or a raise from our worldly boss, but to get a promotion and raise from God, because God is the one who controls the provisions. And when we have that mentality, right, when we work, when we study, when we do good uh, deeds, 
We're doing it only to please God. You think about, you know, say you're at work, you spend that extra hour, uh, you spend that extra time putting that report together, that presentation together, doing that extra work, learning the curriculum just a little deeper. And you do it not because you want to please outsiders, you only do it because you want to please God. And how can you show yourself you're doing it to please God is by, again, keeping it anonymous. Right? And again, it's not to say that, oh, everything we do has to be kept anonymous because obviously we want to set a good example. But it's something that we have to take in consideration um, that when we're doing something, in essence, anonymously, strictly for the purpose of just pleasing God, it's going to earn us more credit. And uh, the other week, I was actually, was it just last week, I was listening to the uh, the Human Podcast and they had the founder of the Spartan Race. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Spartan Race, but it's a uh, 12-mile obstacle. Basically, it's a 12-mile run with 30 obstacles. And they were interviewing the uh, the, uh, the founder of that uh, obstacle course, the Spartan Race. And uh, he cited a uh, book. It's more of a pamphlet um, that had a real kind of impact on me. And it's called A Message to Garcia. And it's very short. Highly recommend if you get the opportunity, uh, go look this up, read it. And um, it's written uh, classical English, you know, it's uh, written in 1899. So uh, the language is slightly different, but the message is very, uh, very profound. And a little backstory about this. So in um, the uh, 1800s, uh, U.S. was basically having tension with Spain, and they thought they were going to go to war. And the U.S. president at the time, William McKinley, uh, he had some allies in the Cuban rebel army that he wanted to reach, and he didn't know how to get a hold of them. One of his uh, lieutenants said, hey, oh, you got to contact this guy, his name is Rowan, and uh, he'll get the message to uh, the, the General Garcia, and um, uh, just, you know, he, he's good for it. So they go find this guy, they bring him in, they give him the letter, and he disappears. And three weeks later, he ends up on the other end of the uh, Cuban uh, Island comes back and says, hey, he delivered a message. Now, what's so profound about this is that he didn't ask, who's Garcia? Why do you want to give him this letter? Uh, what's the purpose of this? This is dangerous. You know, make up excuses. All he knew that, hey, this was an important task. They hand-selected him, said, yes, sir, and they got it done. And uh, the, the entire writing, uh, so this guy wrote it, uh, Albert Hubbard, he didn't even say what the message said or what the context was. <laughs> He just, he was so blown away by this guy's uh, act of integrity and character that the entire uh, pamphlet, the book, was in regards to how it's so hard to find people who just get things done, right? And this is the, uh, this is an excerpt from it, so I'm going to try my best to, uh, to read it. It says, you reader, put this matter to a test. You're sitting now in your office. Six clerks are within call. Summon anyone and make this request. Please look in the encyclopedia and make a brief memorandum for me concerning the life of Correggio. Will the clerk quietly say, yes, sir, and uh, go to the, uh, to the task? On your life, he will not. He will look at you out of a fishy eye and ask one or more of the following questions. Who was he? Which encyclopedia? Where's the encyclopedia? Was I hired for that? Don't you mean Bismarck? What's the matter with Charlie doing it? Is he dead? Is there any hurry? Shan't I bring you the book and let you look it up yourself? What do you want uh, to know for? I will lay you ten to one that after you have answered the questions and explained how to find the information and why you want it, the clerk will go off and get one of the other clerks to help try to find Garcia 
and then come back and tell you there is no such man. Of course, I may lose my bet, but according to the law of average, I will not. Now, if you're wise, you will not bother to explain to your assistant that the Correggio is indexed under C's, not the K's, but you will smile sweetly and say, never mind, go look it up yourself. And so this is just an excerpt from it. And the whole takeaway is this, is that when someone gives you an order, a task, right? And I'm, obviously I'm not talking about something that's going to conflict with our integrity, our morality, uh, with the commandments that God gave, uh, gave us. The average person is going to make up a thousand excuses why this isn't practical, as opposed to the very few who say, yes, sir, and get the job done and figure it out. And you think of this in the example to the uh, children of Israel, right? The children of Israel, they, they killed a man, and then Moses gave them a commandment that came from God that said, sacrifice a heifer. And what was the children of Israel's response? Are you mocking us? Which heifer? What color? Which one? And they made all these uh, excuses, and they showed this level of reluctance. And uh, what's interesting is they used godly language when they were doing it. And they said, by God's leave, you know, God will show us which one. And the thing is, this apprehension showed that they didn't truly value God. They didn't truly trust in God. And ideally, we want to get to the position where we realize when we read a commandment in the Quran, when God tells us to do something, to give our sakat, give to charity, uh, you know, basically um, respond with the best possible response, uh, to treat people kindly, we make up excuses, we make up uh, reasons, objections, questions, and we need to get to the point where we submit to God 100%, that we realize that, look, things are going to happen in our life. God has designed certain things to take place at certain times, uh, and it's for us to benefit from. And if we trust in God and we do it wholeheartedly and cheerfully, God will reward us both in this life and in the hereafter, and the reward comes both inherent to our character, our integrity, but then also in other uh, means as well. And God gives us another example in 1675 through 76. It's, uh, the header is, the rich believer is better than the poor believer. And it reads, God cites the example of a slave who is owned and is totally powerless compared to one whom we bless with good provisions from which he gives to charity secretly and publicly. Are they equal? Praise be to God, most of them do not know. So again, it's talking about, you know, an example of someone who gives secretly and publicly. And the header is, rich believer is better than the poor believer. And I take this to mean that you know, someone who doesn't just give charity in the sense of uh, monetary, but charity in the sense of anything to please God secretly and publicly is uh, more righteous. And then in 76, it reads, and God cites the example of two men. One is dumb, lacks the ability to do anything, is totally dependent on his master. Whichever way he directs him, he cannot produce anything good. Is he equal to one who rules with justice and is guided in the right path? Now you think of this, compare this to that excerpt from the message to Garcia. The clerk, the, uh, the, the person in charge asks one of the clerks, hey, look up this individual. And they come up with a thousand excuses. You know, how do you spell it? Why this individual? Uh, where can I find him? Is he dead? Is he alive? And, and through all these questions, the guy might as well have done it himself. Now, I'm not saying, you know, obviously that, hey, we need to follow people blindly. We need to, uh, anyone gives us an order, yes, we do it. No, absolutely not. The first thing we do is we understand that everything we do, we do it to please God. And we have to ask ourselves, anything that's asked of us, is this going to please God? Is this going to bring us closer to God? Now, 
God has put us into every single situation for us to be able to show our level of faith or our level of uh, disobedience. And it's under those contexts that our real character, real integrity is uh, shown. And the thing is, we have to understand that any task that God gives us, be it, again, running errands, uh, taking care of children, taking care of our own parents, uh, doing the, the, the work we're in, the, the boss we have, that God hand-selected these individuals, these circumstances to teach us something. And if we do it wholeheartedly, we don't question God, you know, we just, we, uh, we put our mind to it and do the absolute best job we can, that God will reward us. You think of this, if the children of Israel, when they were given the order, sacrifice a heifer, if they said, yes, sir, and they just found the best heifer they could and get, got the job done, how much more productive, how much better they would be uh, in a position with God. And Again, if you're not happy in your day-to-day -day job, if you're not happy in the, uh, the, the, the courses you're taking, the professor you have, by all means, go look somewhere else. The thing is, while you're there, we have no right to complain because God is the one who is allowing us to be there. God is the one who knows what's best for us and is putting us there for us to learn from, to grow from. And if we realize that, What's awesome is God says, for those who are reverent, he creates an exit. And I'm going to pull that verse up really quick, if I can find it. Give me one sec, because it's a beautiful verse. It is in chapter 65. I'm just buying myself sometimes. 65.2. It says, uh, This isn't like those who believe in God on the last day. Anyone who reverences God, he will create an exit for him. And also in chapter 65, it says, uh, anyone, uh, 65.4, it says, anyone who reverences God, he makes everything easy for him. So we see, anyone who reverences God, he creates an exit for him. Anyone who reverences God, he makes it easy for him. Meaning that you might be in a difficult situation, but if you reverence God, not only is he going to make that situation easy for you, He's going to create an exit for you. And the only thing we need to do is work on ourselves. And when we work on ourselves, when we perfect our belief, God takes care of his part of the agreement. There's so much more that can be said. God bless you guys. Um, you got any comments, questions, uh, hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. Uh, we also got a, a Twitter page at crontalk. Um, and uh, until next time, peace and God bless.